friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs, and I'm very excited today because I am recording not in the black booth with all the padded walls like everybody's been in, but in my own new office, which is so fun. Chad brought everything here, which is great. So this is a fun new day, everyone. It's a new day. Hey, the music in the background is our buddy Dave Barnes. His album, Who Knew It Would Be So Hard to Be Myself, released a couple months ago, and it's awesome. And most of you have it, but if you don't yet, make sure you grab that. Hey, we've been on a little bit of a run the last couple of weeks of having male Christian musicians, and it continues today. It wasn't meant to, actually. Um, Kate Bowler, author of a book that many of y'all are reading and loving, was supposed to be on the show today, but she is not feeling great. So we are going to try to have her in the near future. But luckily, my buddy Tarn Wells was already slated to be on the show. And so we just got to put his episode in today. I met Torin in 2013, I think, 12 or 13. We were on the same tour called Girls of Grace. He was with a band called Royal Taylor, and I was me. And he was just one of my very favorite dudes to be out on the road with. I just thought the world of him. And now he is doing his own solo thing. His new album, Hills and Valleys, just came out a few months ago, and it is amazing. You've probably heard the song Hills and Valleys on your local Christian radio station. So Torn and I sat down and just had a great talk about all sorts of stuff. He's also a pastor, family man, leader. I just think the world of him, I think you are going to as well. So here is my conversation with my pal Torin Wells. Hi, I'm glad to talk to you. It feels like it's been a hundred years. I know. I haven't seen you in too long. I know. It feels, I mean, really, it's probably been, when were we on the road? 2013? Yeah, I was going to say maybe four years. Yeah. Dude, that's yeah, insane. That's okay, help me understand this. Here's the first thing. Let's just jump in. When okay. we were on the road together with Girls of Grace, you were in Royal Taylor. That's right. And Royal Taylor is not a band anymore. You guys split up? Splitsies? Yes. Tell me about it. What What made you decide to go solo? Well, there were several factors involved, but the main thing was really just my personal sense of calling. I felt like in a lot of ways, the band eclipsed a lot of the other things that God had put in my heart. And when you've got four grown men all holding the reins of something, it's difficult to determine what the priorities are. Yeah. So, you know, when we started the band and That's we a lot all, of opinions. <laughs> uh, it is, it is. And we're all hard headed and stubborn and all that. Um, and when we started the band, I we don't we just jumped into the van and ate ramen noodles and right. slept people's couches yeah because y'all were like pals in college right oh yeah yeah best friends and then getting married and then i was the first to start having kids and kids will rock your whole world and your priority system so that really shifted a lot for me i wanted to be able to control my schedule more so that led me to stepping out of the band i think an interesting because all of us aren't in bands, right? Like everybody's listening. I'm not in a band. But I do think it's really interesting that when you say that like kind of putting all the brains together was good for a season, but there was a time when you knew in order to do what God had for you, it meant stepping out of what you had already known. Yeah, totally. How scary was that? Oh, uh, it's terrifying, you know, especially when 
you learn to lean on people intentionally and make decisions together. Um, but ultimately, there are divine expirations. Oh, come on with that. Talk about that. Well, there are just... Did you write that? Are you the person who came up with that phrase? Uh, divine expirations? Yeah. I haven't heard it, but... Okay, we're giving it to you. We're trademarking it to you, Torin. <laughs> Thank you. That's a good one, dude. When you see it in a book, I'm sorry. You know, Dr. Henry Cloud said that there are necessary endings. So I think I just flipped that language to divine expirations. Just because, you know, what there was a story that really spoke to me right when I was... Um, about to make the decision to leave. And it's the story of Abraham and Isaac. And obviously Abraham's been given a directive to sacrifice his one and only son. And he gets to the top of this mountain with full intention of following through with what God told him to do. And then in the midst of his obedience, God stops him and gives him a new instruction. And I yeah. think so many times for us, we're with good intention, very committed to doing what God has called us to do and the assignment that he's given us without really realizing that in a moment, God could speak to us and change what our obedience really looks like because the directive changes. And it doesn't mean you were wrong the first time. No, you were you were doing what God asked you to do. Yeah. But you're willing to go. Are you willing to stop? You know, mm, we're willing yeah. to run, but are we willing to wait and pause and hear what God has to say to us? And if Abraham wouldn't have been listening, first of all, and then able to say, you know what, God, I know that you called me to do that before, but now you're instructing me to do something else. He would have sacrificed his future. And for me, there was a divine expiration on Royal Taylor and that season of ministry. And uh, I'm glad that I was just listening, even though it was difficult. Maybe this is my inclination and my issues showing themselves as they tend to do, Doran. But, you know, I think a lot of times when I feel the change of directive, I think, oh, I've missed God this whole time. I've been off this whole time, right? Like when the truth is you can obey thinking that God's pointing you to a certain destination and he is taking you down the right road. You just don't see that there's a right-hand turn when you almost get there. Exactly. Yep. Right? And so obedience is the thing, not the destination. That's right. And faith is obedience in reverse. It's doing what God has asked me to do before I see why he's asking me to do it. Oh, come on. We're able to just follow in faith, then, you know, we can't really make a misstep. Man, I had a friend yesterday at lunch say, um, we were talking about trusting God. And I was literally saying to her, like, the one thing that is getting rooted out of me right now is my lack of trust in God, that I can talk the game and I know that I trust God. But like, and what she said is, she said, um, God's love language is trust. Wow. That's right. Yeah, that's so good. And I just thought, it is not about me. If I love someone and I know their love language is quality time, I'm going to make the choice to spend time with them. Yeah. And if I love God and I know his qual- his love language is trust, then I need to be actively trusting him. Yeah. Absolutely. Even when I don't see it, doing that faith thing, which you grew up a Christian, yeah? Or did you get saved when you were older? Yeah, I was 10. Yeah. Yeah. So same. So I was little. 
And so there's something about faith and trust that gets kind of built into our DNA, but also is a little bit harder, I think, when you've only known this kind of life. Yeah, it is. And what I've found recently, just with more transition, it's always happening. You're either about to be in a transition, in transition, or recently transitioned. (laughs) Yeah, that's always true. It's always that cycle. And I was talking to one of my friends about some changes we're making. And that is, you know, sometimes we see what we're going through as a test and we're trying to figure out, well, what, what is the test? Is this a test of obedience? Is this a test of trust? But I feel like a lot of times God is sending us into tests of process. Like, are you willing to go about what I've called you to do the right way? When I do change a season, are you going to honor the people that were just with you through that whole time? Are you going to seek godly counsel, walk in wisdom, or are you going to rush the process and try and step into something that God hasn't really given you access to yet? So that's what I'm learning is like, even in all of the change that happens in life, I have to trust God in the process of it all. Brother, you are preaching. You are preaching. (laughs) I mean, I need some people to say amen on their treadmills because, listen, that is it. I mean, that's it. Is It is not. I wonder, I'm 37. I wonder how long in my relationship with God, he is going to have to keep reminding me that it's not about the destination. Mm. So Right? That it is about, I mean, that whole idea of obedience in the process matters more than obedience in the in the listening or matters more probably than obedience in the destination. When is that actually going to get molded to my heart, you know? Cuz I want it to. I'm an ADHD person. I'm a get it done now person. Let's let's skip to the the end of the book. Let's go to the end of the movie. Let's see how this all works out. And what I feel like I'm constantly learning and relearning is I trust God with the path, typically. I'm like, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And then where I really struggle is with the pace that he has. Oh, like, Torin, just get out of here. No, it's I'm just speaking from like the reality of my struggle that I'm impatient. But rush always leads to ruin. And I have been in so performance mode. Oh my gosh, Annie, like everything is rush. Let's get it done. Let's get this posted. We got to get content out. We've got to, and everything is immediate approval, instant gratification, but that all leads to ruin. What I'm trying to figure out is if I trust God with the pace, then I can actually live from rest And I can get to the reward that God has promised me, which, by the way, is always Jesus. It's never a place, it's a person. If we can, like, wrap our hearts around that reality, we can be so much more fulfilled and content right where we're at. (laughs) I am taking notes like I'm listening to a sermon. No kidding. I'm like, where's my journal? 
I don't know if you know this, but the only people I have um, on the podcast are my friends. It's like one of the rules is that I won't have anyone on as a guest that isn't my friend. Well, that is an honor in itself. Thank you. Oh, gosh. Get out of here. No, no, no. Of course. I'm so glad you are available. Of course, I want. I wanted to have you on. But I just think people who listen to your music and love your music, this stuff that you're saying is infused into who you are as a friend and as a person. And it comes out in your music, too. But it is... I mean, do you preach a lot, Torin? You preach some, don't you? I do, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. you have to. I need you to be preaching a lot. <laughs> All right, well. This is this is the business right here. Trust guy with the pace. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right, you're right, you're right. Here comes Annie rushing the pace. Classic, classic. Of course I am. I'm the same because I'm the worst at that too. To trust him, well, obviously I led with, I'm not doing great on trusting right now. Yeah. Full stop, right? Yeah, <laughs> I'm right. just not doing great on it. But the idea of rushing leading to ruin, have you seen that happen for you? Yes. I've seen it heading yeah, down that road. Really, and, you know, digging in a little bit more into the performance thing. Yeah. What's your Enneagram number? I don't know. Everyone's been asking me that this last... I know. It's what all the people want to talk about right now. What, I need to take a test somewhere or something? Yeah, we'll sort it out. I'll help you. We'll do it. We'll do it later. I'll help you. Keep going. I'm so performance oriented. And I realized that when you live by the opinions of people, it's poison. And when the like button really matters to you in your heart, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I don't know if you mm-hmm. saw that little article that's floating around on Facebook right now about how, you know, those clicks and those likes actually release dopamine into your system so it's literally we are literally a culture of affirmation addicts and so for a performance driven person and honestly in a performance driven industry you know in music and it, it's not just music it's people showing up on their jobs or how a mother feels they're performing as a mom and a wife or you know a dad and a husband trying to support the family it's like if people aren't giving us affirmation immediately, that is really compounding the pressure that we feel. And you can only withstand so much pressure before you go to something to medicate that. And I feel like I was on that road of, man, I'm just running so hard. If I don't pump the brakes here and hand some of this over to God and start living from approval and from rest, then this whole thing is about to crash. Yeah. And what happens if it crashes? Uh, it's over. I mean, for me, it would be... What's over though? What would be over? Yeah. Well, one, my, my platform and ministry, you know, depending on what things you run to, the things that you reach for first when you're under pressure lets you know what you value the most. Yep. And what you medicate with. Yes. So... I think it's important that we're always so introspective and looking at our heart and having good conversations with our spouses and really looking at how much time am I looking in my kids' eyes, you know? Because I think when I say you lose it all, you may not lose it all in the moment, but you may look back in 25 or 30 years and say, man, I didn't have the relationship with my kids that I wanted because I was rushing so much didn't have the relationship with my spouse that I really wanted. We've grown apart because I've been rushing so much, trying to meet everyone else's expectations, except for the people right in my own home. 
that's really shifted for me in priority. And honestly, that's what led to me stepping out of Royal Taylor and into a solo season. So yeah, because I think an important thing for people to hear both of us say with our jobs is that if you lose everything, that doesn't mean you die. You still have to wake up the next day and be a person. Right. Yes. So when you lose everything, you don't get to be done. No. You have to like keep existing. Yes. But you've lost all the things. I mean, it's one of the reasons that I make a lot of very strategic decisions going, I want to do this for a long time and not lose this. I can walk away from this, but I'm not willing to be in a sin pattern or make a decision or burn out and make a decision that causes me to have for this to be taken from me. It, if it's going to end, I want God to take it. I want God to say, we're done here. I don't want my decisions to say we're done here because then what will I do with my life? <laughs> I mean, I I could, you know, I can get a job at a bookstore, but that isn't what I'm called to do for my long term as of right now. Yes, so good. We got to do whatever it takes. And this isn't just for people in our field. I mean, I think this is for in our field being like public entertainment, faith field. But I think like you talked about a mom or a nurse or a doctor or a guy who builds spreadsheets You've got to figure out how you do your life and your calling for the long haul. Yeah, and you have to determine for yourself what success is or someone else will happily inform you. And mm. people will lay their metric for success over your life and you will live trying to meet up to an expectation that you weren't even created to meet. So for me, there's always, and this is a constant conversation. I don't think you ever step out of this conversation of what is the priority and how does everything flow from that? I'm not kidding you. A few weeks ago, John, Chris, and I had this almost the same conversation of you get to decide what success is for you. Yes. With you and God, you need to decide what success is and not let anyone else define it. Yes, absolutely. And when we're defining success, it better be in terms of eternity, not just in what we do on earth. I think it's important to leave our mark and to carry the gospel as far as we can and to be good stewards of our gifts. But ultimately, the greatest reward that we have is on the other side of all of this. I heard a quote recently with um, Billy Graham passing, and he was asked one time in an interview, uh, he was asked, so in all of your life and ministry and all the things that you've done, what really stands out? And he said, nothing. Interviewer was puzzled. He was like, nothing? He said, yeah, nothing. There's only one thing that I'm waiting to hear, and it's not from a man. Wow. And that, oh, that hit me so hard because so much of what we do is for the immediate compliment, and we disregard the affirmation of heaven. And our success, our metric for success needs to be faithfulness to our calling. And that way, when we step into the other side and we're given to count for all that we've done in our life, God can look at us and say, well done. That's the highest approval you can ever have. Dude, <laughs> you have me. Yeah, you have my brain spinning. You're exactly right. So when you, on a day-to-day -day basis, because I know, I mean, you're a human, you're a normal guy who like, 
eats it of Tex-Mex place in Houston and raises your kids and like has a great time, loves sports and all the things I'm sure when you're thinking about how you're spending your time and you're thinking about eternity, how does that affect the music you make? I mean, like how does that affect your everyday? Does it? Yeah, it does. And it has even more recently. I read a book, uh, probably two years ago now called leaning on empty by Wayne Cordero. Uh-huh. Oh, I love the Corderos from uh, Hawaii. Yes. Oh, I love that family. Isn't it funny? A pastor who was pastoring in Hawaii wrote a book on burnout. It can happen to anyone, anywhere. Right. Even if you're, <laughs> That's if right. Paradise. That's exactly right. Even in paradise. <laughs> his son, Aaron, and his wife, Uwe, are two of my like dear friends out in Hawaii. So I just absolutely love that family. That's awesome. Well, his book really impacted me. He has another one called Sifted that I read. And in one of them, I can't remember. I think it's in Leading on Empty. He talks about spirit-led seasons and how in parenting and stages of your kids growing up, you know, I have three boys, three little boys now. And oh my gosh, three. Yeah, it's ridiculous. That is so fun. I know what we were thinking in the moment, but I don't know what we were thinking now that the moment has passed. And <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, I have really tried to focus in on like listening to the Holy Spirit and paying attention to my kids. Like, what do you need today? What do you need to hear today? Um, you know, do you need extra time today on FaceTime or when I am home? You know, do we need to hang some extra time? So I'm really trying to sense that. And then with touring and with opportunities, can't take every opportunity. So it really takes being spirit led to know these are the right things that are moving me in the right direction. Um, so that's how it kind of looks like practically for me. Like you said, I love just life. I think it's a gift and I try to soak it up, but I, I'm also very intentional about not being distracted by pointless things like my iPhone. Oh, listen, do we even have time to talk about how our phones, I saw someone say the other day, I don't know who the quote is, but that it may be Piper. I'm not sure. And I tend to not quote Piper, but it was something like the greatest detriment to our spiritual lives is our phones. Yes. The number one addiction in America, for sure. Yep. Yeah. My pastor at Crosspoint, Kevin, last week, he was teaching about Jesus, surprisingly, at church. And he was teaching about how the thing that set Jesus apart is he had uninterruptible time with God on a regular basis where the disciples knew to leave him alone and people leave him alone. And Kevin was kind of challenging us like, do you ever have uninterruptible time with God? Yeah. And I thought, man, well, I'm reading a book on my, like every morning I'm reading a devotional on my phone. So I hold my phone and then I always end up spending eight minutes to 20 minutes on Instagram during my time, Right. you know? <laughs> and so I've, I had to like, I've changed my patterns. I like took the book off my phone and I read it on my Kindle and like leave my phone in my room during my morning time because I was interruptible constantly. Yeah. Right. And that was Jesus's like superpower besides being Jesus was that he had uninterruptible time with God. Yes. I'm actually releasing a devotional. It's live right now on you version um, with my single when we pray. And in one of the days, I can't remember which day it is, but I'm just talking about how when God calls us to go a little further in our purpose, he calls us a little further 
in our prayer life. And my father-in-law talked to me about this before. He pointed out, I believe it's in Luke, that when Jesus went to pray, he asked the disciples to go with them. And this is like that famous scripture where all the disciples fall asleep, which would be the group I'm in because I really enjoy sleeping. Thank you. And then he gets Peter and John or James and John to go a little further with him, as the Bible says, to pray. And then once um, they go a little further with them, it says, and Jesus went a little further to pray. And I think what you're saying is, and it's so real for me too, we need to, as believers, go a little further in our prayer life. And a little further, a lot of times people will say, well, I need to pray longer. I need to have longer devotional time. And I think that's good to work toward. But I love what you said about being uninterruptible. And then I think in the consistency is really where we prove that we're going a little further because it's easy to keep in with God here and there and, you know, check in on Sunday when we're singing worship songs and uh, that be it. But a little further, a lot of times looks like a more diligent, consistent prayer life and conversation with God. Have you read any of um, E.M. Bounds stuff on prayer? I haven't. Oh, I'm going to put one in the mail to you this week, Tori. We have a couple of themes running in our church this year. I don't know if you know our story, but our pastor left about a year and a half ago, and our new pastor, Kevin, came along in August. Cool. And he's amazing. And actually, he and I went to college together. It's crazy. It's a crazy story. But what he is really pushing us on as a community is asking God to teach us to pray, because that's the only thing the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to do. Wow. Yeah. Right. And so that is what we talk about, what we read about, what we practice is like, teach me how to pray. And we're feeling, I'm feeling it in my life. This like, okay, God, teach me how to pray. And right now I'm in the, you're going to laugh so hard at me about this because you know me, but I'm in the season where there's a couple of areas that I can get high anxiety about when they aren't going, when I'm out of control and not trusting. And so the Lord's like, every time that happens, get on your knees. And dude, I'm getting on my knees in the weirdest places. (laughs) And just going like, oh man, here we go. Okay, I know how I feel and I know I'm at Target, but okay, I'm going to get on my knees for half a second and tell the Lord I hand it back to him and then I'm going to get up again. But it is is exactly what you talked about. It's this long-term discipline. It's this repeated behavior. It's taking one more rep in your prayer life and that's where you will see change. And it's in all in our perspective, right? So something that you said, you know, developing the discipline of prayer, which I am totally all about Christian disciplines. I feel like we do need to be disciplined believers. You know, me naturally being honest, not really very disciplined. I started running. I ran for two weeks, you know, Um, it's hard to build like consistent habits. And, uh, but you know what I don't really have to work at is talking to my wife for some reason. It just happens. Like I'm not thinking, all right, babe, 7 a.m., we're going to get up and we're going to talk. Number one, I'll be asleep at 7 a.m. That's not happening. But I think it is good, you know, to set, we're going to have a date night. We're going to have some strategic time. But the power of our relationships is in the consistency of our communication and the spirit in which it's done. And for so long, I viewed prayer as the litmus test for my spiritual discipline. 
but really it's the metric for my relational health with God. So it's not, I'm an undisciplined believer because I don't pray. I'm not praying because my relationship really isn't where it's supposed to be. And that (laughs) that's heavy, but it should also call us and remind us that man, God is inviting us into conversation with him at any moment, at any point in any situation. And if we can lean into that relationship and really understand the love of God and the grace of God, then we'll just be like that old church mother that's just praying when she wakes up and praying when she's doing the dishes and praying when she's taking the kids to school. Because it's not praying. It's exactly. It's consistent. Yeah. Man, I mean, that is that's who I want to be. Yeah. Right. That's who I want to be. One day we're going to get there. We're going to get there. We, I, I mean, I just don't know a person that has to wrestle harder to be good at being a Christian than me. <laughs> I just feel like I got to wrestle that down all the time. Is that, if this is the rest of our lives. No, it is. And you saying that that's really just the mark of real maturity. I mean, you've, you've probably heard this when Paul is walking through the letters like he starts out really establishing himself like Paul, the apostle called by God, you know, and it's all this like great language about himself. And then as you get into some of the letters, it's like Paul, a humble servant, you know, the the chief sinner, you know, his whole perspective of himself shifted from this place of power and prominence to a real place of helplessness, like God, I I can't see it all. I can't do it all. I don't understand it all, but I'm holding on to you for dear life. And that's where ultimately I think we can be. Have you found that to be true in your faith life that the longer you do this, the less you know? Are you serious? I mean, obviously, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, every time I have a challenging conversation, I'm like, and I was really, I went to Bible school. Okay. So I went to Bible right, you've got the school, papers. okay? Yeah. <laughs> so when I came out at 22, I knew it all. I had all the yeah, answers, yeah, yeah. zero experience. And uh, now at 31, I'm like, God, I just really, really need you because I can't see it at all. Like, I don't have any of the answers, you know, that really just, it creates space, that space of humility to really hear from God and lean on God. And then you get access to things. You know, when you're talking to your friends, there are things your friends tell you in confidence that they don't tell anybody else. And I think when you get to that vulnerable place with God, you can actually start hearing his voice and following his lead. Yeah, talk about that a little bit. It's one, it's one of the things I love getting my friends on the show to talk about is what their experience is like hearing God. Because I think anyone who, I mean, the, the scripture says that the sheep will know the voice of the shepherd. And whether you turn to the right or the left, you're going to hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way I walk in. And I think anyone who is walking with Christ can hear God for themselves. What is your experience like? What is it like when you hear God? How do you, I mean, is he audible to you? Is he, what is it like for you? Well, First, I'd say I read an awesome book. I always point back to books uh, by Robert Morris called Frequency. 
Yeah. It, it's kind of new, right? In the last couple of years? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Fantastic. I haven't read it yet. Because I always, I've always wanted to really hear from God, you know, to make sure that I'm in a posture of listening and he really articulates how to work through distraction and just how God has spoken to him in his life and what that looked like. For me, two places I really feel like God speaks, these will not be surprising, through his word and through the preaching of his word. And then I feel like he also, I sometimes feel like his voice speaking can go hand in hand with his spirit leading. And which kind of takes me full circle back to the whole process thing. It's like there are clear ways of God. The will of God is often hidden from us, but the ways of God are clear. Lean not to your own understanding, you know, in everything. Follow me. I'll direct your path. The ways are clear, and the way God does things many times are very clear. So I preach a message called Where There's a Way, There's a Will for people trying Mm -hmm. to find the will of God. If you walk in where there's a way, there's a will. Okay. If you walk in his ways, you'll always be in his will. Instead of always fighting to know, is is that God? Is that God? It's like I hear one message and it's telling me go. And then I hear another mm-hmm. message and it's telling me stay. You know, mm-hmm. how do I determine? Well, there's always a context that's happening, a background um, for whatever decisions are being made. So for me. I feel like it's through God's word, through preaching, and then through spiritual authority. If I feel God leading me to do something in my heart that's like a major life decision, then I'm going to my pastor because I'm old school and I actually believe that God still speaks through the man of God in your life. And we've got a lot of people, you know, Christians that are making their own calls and doing their own things with complete disregard to like spiritual authority. And it's really hard for you to hear when you're not aligned with God's authority, how he speaks. So that that's been the key for me to make sure that I'm following Jesus is his word, um, his word preached. And then my pastor, I think that's brilliant. And I will second that because I, For Lent, I made some pretty, I felt the Lord kind of pushing me to do some pretty extreme things. And so I went to my pastor and to my mentor and I said, you help me hear this. Like, and they put some boundaries around me that I had not put on myself. And so every day I go, every day of Lent, I go, okay, well, whether I want to do this or not, my spiritual authority said that obeying God looks like this. And so I I am so with you that, that we need to, um, recognize. I also think it's why it's important that you know your pastor or you know a pastor at your church, because in churches, your size, my size, kind of these bigger, I know you do stuff at Lakewood. Yeah. 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 At churches, our size is super easy for all the authority to be way far away from you. Yes. It is your job as the student to approach the teacher, right? Wouldn't you say? Yes. And to remember, I I don't know who said this, but only those who know you, K-N-O-W, can actually know you, N-O-U. Yes. So like when I'm making big life decisions, 
I go to people that have been in my life. <laughs> you know, a lot of times my natural inclination is to go to whoever's going to tell me what I want to hear. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. You know, yep. That's I, exactly I really, right. I really want to do this. And I know my friends will be like, yeah, you should totally do that, bro. That sounds awesome. That's a great opportunity. But they don't really have the inside scoop on my life. So my wife and I went to a marriage counselor, someone that we knew, and we've been married seven years. So we went to him eight years ago. When I go to make a major life decision, I go to that pastor because he walked with us. He knows our relationship. He knows our family dynamic. He knows our church dynamic. So I think you made a good point about pastors kind of being unreachable uh, because a lot of times that is the case in larger churches. But there are hopefully spiritual mentors and people in your life that know who you are and can give you real Christ-centered, gospel-driven direction. That is exactly where I wanted you to go because I wanted you to say, what are some other voices? If you're if you're not in a church right now or if you're new to a church and you don't have that trusted pastor or if you're in a massive church and there's just no way to get to a pastor, that's a whole nother problem. But so for it sounds like for you and for me, it would be our counselor, your therapist is one person. Yes. Who else comes to your mind as people that God would have placed as a spiritual authority over them? Well, first of all, if you're married, you know, there's great power in praying together and about life decisions and unifying around a particular subject and so or issue or life stage. My wife and I have done that and some people, I don't know where people are exactly, but we really believe in praying in the spirit mm-hmm. that there are things that the spirit can pray in us on our behalf that we don't have the intellect to articulate. Yeah. So, I mean, it should be a normal thing to be praying in the spirit, but especially when we're making a big decision, we pray in the spirit about it and we don't you know, stop short of that because we want God to be all up in all of our business. The second thing is, if you are at a big church, there aren't a lot of big churches that have not created ways for people to assimilate into the culture. So now I'm a local church guy. I've been a pastor so you're going to hear my pastoral heart a little bit here. Which I love because I'm a local church girl too. I think it is. I think it's the rescue. I think it's the bride. I think all the things. I think the local church is the hero yes. that we need to be looking for. And if you're not plugged in and you don't have a spiritual overseer, then I have two questions. Are you serving in your local church? And are you a part of small groups? Because usually, okay, I know there are exceptions, but usually... If you are out on an island by yourself in your church, it's because you haven't decided to engage in the ways that the church has created for you to create relationships and find spiritual authority. So that would be my second thing is, you know, getting into a small group or joining a serve team, because typically you're going to have spiritual authority. Someone's been given leadership authority in those circles. So that's a great way to find spiritual authority if you're looking for it. 
And then, you know, counselors and things like that. And then if your parents are godly and you're still in some way in a relationship with them that would, yeah. where they can speak in, yep. I think you aren't in your family on accident. You know, right. you were given to your parents on purpose. My father-in-law is a pastor. So I run pretty much every decision. Like I'm thinking about really? buying a car. I'm texting him the car. What do you think about this? Just because I want to make good decisions, why not glean from people who are 10, 20, 30 years down the road from you? And you know what gets so messy about spiritual authority is that they're humans. And so not everything they say is totally perfect and not every piece of advice is going to walk just right with you. But we just have to believe, I mean, hey, let's talk about trust again. You just have to trust that God has put a leader over you in a way for a reason. Yes. You know what? I'll say this. We're getting ready to make a transition from our church at Royal Wood. And I went to my pastor and I asked him about it. And he said that I've brought other opportunities to him before. He told me no. And I respected it and never asked him again. And he said, Torn, I always want you to remember that your submission has led to your advancement. Okay. Okay, Torn. Well, say that again. Submission leads to advancement. Yes. Um, and he said, I'll never use your submissive spirit against you. And that is a real shepherd's heart. That is a real pastor that cares and loves about people. But I think there's so much power in being submitted to a man of God, um, to a spiritual overseer, and that God uses people who trust authority to entrust authority. Yeah, there's a whole lot about that, but... Dude, that's good. <laughs> we'll hit the pause so button. Hey, is this exactly what you thought we'd talk about? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so I have an album out. It's called Hills and Valleys. Right. Uh, right. Should we talk about Hills and Valleys? We're going to. That's what we're going to do right now. But do you know what? My, my friends asked me, like, do you like plan what y'all are going to talk about? I was like, no, that's literally why I have to have my friends on because I'm not a good interviewer. I just am good at talking to my friends about what we both care about. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Okay, let's talk about Hills and Valleys because let me tell you, I was in Texas last weekend and I went to dinner with the family and the oldest child is six, seven. She got in my car to ride to church and I said, what do you want to put on? She said, "There." She said, how about that Hills and Valley song? And I was like, that's my boy Taryn. We're yeah. doing it. Yeah. I mean, that song is so, it's just so good, Taryn. You just write, I mean, what everyone's going to know from the 40 minutes we've, they've already experienced you is you are a deep well of wisdom and insight and connection with God. And that just pours out. And in, in music is just the current way you get that out. Yeah. It's one vehicle. I really feel like there's identity, calling, and assignment. And identity is who God says that we are. It does not change. Then there's calling, which Simon Sinek dubbed the why. You know, it's your passion, the thing that makes you come alive. And then there are specific assignments that flow out of your calling. For me, I feel like my calling is to call greatness out of people because yeah. I had some negative voices in my life that tried to set a very low bar on what was possible for me. And then I had some very positive. When you were young? 
Yes, when I was young and even through college. And then I had some very instrumental voices that spoke life to me and raised the bar of expectation. And I thought if I ever get an opportunity to have a platform, I'm going to use it to raise the bar of people's expectations of their own lives and what they feel like is possible. I said all that to say music and being an artist is an assignment. It's one vehicle that I get to express my calling in. But like you, you know, you speak, you write, you have a podcast. There are many expressions of your calling and one may go away. The assignments may change, but your calling is going to always remain the same. And uh, so in this season where I get to do music, I'm doing it with everything that I got. I'm having a great time with it, but I know ultimately it could change, you know? Hey, one second. Do you get groceries delivered to your house? <laughs> no, I'm not that fancy. Here's what. I don't get groceries is the truth. Sorry. <laughs> okay, they don't have the exact water. So okay. I just got this one. No, this is perfect. Okay. I love Texas spring water. Okay, it's the great. best. Everything else was good in stock. Thank you. Thanks so much. Bye. You too. Sorry. I mean, it's the greatest gift, isn't it? I mean, who knew that you could get your groceries delivered? I don't have to go to the grocery store. Man, and don't you remember the day where you needed to make just a little more money and a job like delivering groceries would have been my lifesaver. So I'm all about those kind of things because I'm like, listen, I'll take Uber everywhere because I remember the day when I needed to be the Uber driver. Yes. And so I love that stuff. Me too. Sorry, I interrupted. No, no, no. It keeps our economy going, man. I love edit it. edit this, so. Mm-mm. No way we're not taking that out. The world <laughs> needs to know you're a real human. I love that. <laughs> I think it's the best. Okay, so tell me about Hills and Valleys. So that song, I mean, that song took off. And now the Prey song, you know my buddy Matt Singleton, the one who did your video, is like one of my buds. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, that video is so sick. It was great working with him such a great team. You got some talented people at your church. I love Man, it. You're not playing. You just come on and let me know when you want to, um, <laughs> when you want to, when you want to talk about being here. Cause we could use some of you up in here. I love it. Okay. So the album, are you touring it right now? What's the plan? Yeah. So I'm about to hop on the Chris Tomlin worship nights in America tour. We'll be yeah. at 24 shows, I think. And then I will be on the Danny Goki tour in the fall. Oh, that's awesome. And aren't you doing something in the summer with KB or was that last, is that coming up? Uh, no, we did a tour. That was one of the first tours I went on as a solo artist. I went out with KB. Okay. I love that dude. Yep. That's, that's kind of what my year looks like. So, and so the single out, which, what single is out right now? When we pray is out right now, as this is being recorded, it's number two on the big charts. Come on. The number two song? Are you freaking out? Have you had number ones already? I haven't had a number one. No. (gasps) I had Love is Action went number one, but it went number one on Christian Hit Radio, which I appreciate. But the audience isn't quite as big as the adult contemporary audience. Uh So um, I'm excited about that. 10th Avenue North has been number one for like four weeks. So I text Mike Donahue and I was like, hey, bro. Congrats on a chart topper. Um, really excited for you. And he texted me back and said, don't worry, bro. We're going to move out of your way soon enough. Oh, I love so. it. 
I, I love just it. like celebrating other people. Right. Like, it's one of the most fun things about our community to me. Yeah. Is that everybody's like, like the fact that y'all text each other that stuff. And, and the same is true with authors. When, when we hit number one, like when we hit high on Amazon or somebody hits the New York Times, everybody else freaks out because if anybody scores a touchdown on the team, the points go up. Yeah, exactly. And so it's awesome no matter who it is. I, th- I mean, of course, you you want your work to matter, but man, I, I love it. Today, also here in Nashville, the ACM Award nominations came out and watching yeah. all my country friends get nominated makes me want to like shout from the rooftops and watching them celebrate each other is just amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. Here's what people don't know because you've been so profound and serious on this podcast that like you can dance and perform like like you're like our, a modern Michael Jackson. You are so fun to watch perform. Yeah. So I was just, uh, have you heard of Christian care ministries? Oh yeah. I was just there. I've been a member with Medishare for six years and I was just there, spoke at their chapel and performed. And the, the president was like, Hey, are you going to show us some Michael Jackson moves this morning? Here we are <laughs> in the chapel, you know, I'm like, I'm not moonwalking on this stage. You're trying to get me kicked out of here, bro. <laughs> so, yeah, but I, I love it. I mean, being on the road with y'all was one of my favorite things is I did not miss your set because I loved watching y'all perform and dance and I just enjoyed it so much. I just love having fun. Like we have something worth celebrating. So I like to turn up. Yeah, me too, brother. Um, Okay, let me ask you one more question. This is our big final question of the show that we ask every week. Because it's the podcast is called That Sounds Fun. Tell me what sounds fun to you. What do you guys do for fun in Houston? Oh, we eat. Oh, tell me everything. This is the land of a million restaurants. So we have one million restaurants in Houston. And uh, the food is amazing. Now, I grew up in Battle Creek, Michigan, which is the home of the bland. Okay. (laughs) Hey, Battle Creek, we see you. (laughs) Cornflakes and Raisin Bran, okay, are made in Battle Creek. When I got to Houston and ate my first fajita, Mm -hmm. they almost had to carry (laughs) me out of that restaurant. That's when you started praying in the spirit. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) About knocked me out. Some chips, salsa, and a Dr. Pepper. Girl, don't get me started. (laughs) Um, So is that y'all's thing, Tex-Mex? Is that the one y'all like go to? There's a couple places here. Neatfus, it's like an original family owned and operated uh, little Mexican food place. We like to go to Lupe Tortilla. It's really good. And then. (laughs) Oh, I've been to Lupe Tortilla. That place is legit. Lupe will get you right. So then with my boys, everything is sports right now. So we're constantly outside riding bikes, playing basketball, throwing stuff, breaking stuff. Kanan is four. He'll be five next month. Lawson, my middle boy, he'll be two next month. And then we just had Navy, who's a month old. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's amazing. Okay. So we'll do this real quick. Give me breakfast, lunch, dinner in Houston. No budget. You just want people to have, they say, I'm coming to Houston and I need to eat a breakfast, a lunch, and a dinner that is just... Absolutely Houston and absolutely delicious. Yeah. Okay. So for breakfast, we're going to the Breakfast Club downtown. It's a New Orleans style restaurant. It's what it feels like. And the chicken and waffles are ridiculous. The first time I went there, I only ordered the waffle and eggs and bacon. 
And the lady behind the counter was like, no, you need some chicken. Yeah, I'm, I'm bringing you some chicken. <laughs> so they brought me some free chicken. I had a chicken leg. It was oh, okay. so good. Okay, that, that would be great. And then about six hours later, you'll be hungry for lunch. Mm-hmm. So we would do for lunch, I'd probably take you to Tiny Boxwoods, okay. which is like a French cottage restaurant, right? Tucked into downtown, but there's like a greenhouse behind it. They sell fresh flowers and stuff, but the mm-hmm. whole thing is all, it's like white cement, very open cottage feeling and uh, really great lunch there. And okay. then for dinner, we probably hit Nymphas on Navigation, which is the original Nymphas restaurant. I'm very passionate about Thank this, you. I've realized. Listen, this is what I came here for. This is what I want. I want what you're passionate about. The chicken fajitas at Nymphas with the Montequilla sauce. It's like a melted butter. It's a melted butter that you put on it. It just it will put you in a coma, and then we'll wrap it up. But the good with kind. some yeah, <laughs> the good a food coma. Then we would wrap up the evening with maybe some crepes or um. There's another place I can't think of it right now, but uh yeah. Anyways, crepes. Okay. Yeah, it'd be a great great time, great experience. Or we could go to House of Pies and get some chocolate pie. Which would knock oh, out. I'm like booking a flight, brother. I'm like, I am coming. Hey, don't mess with me. Man, well, thank you for doing this, Torn. I appreciate you taking time today. I think uh, this is more than I could have dreamed we were going to talk about. <laughs> we got a lot of content in on this one. Man, thanks for jumping in. That was That was real and that was good and timely. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Friends, didn't you just love Torn? I know. I mean, I'm really, really proud to be friends with him. I think it's awesome. So you can check out more about him at TorrenWells.com. That's Torrin, T-A-U-R-E-N, Wells, W-E-L-L-S.com. And make sure you grab his album, Hills and Valleys. We've had some really great musicians on the show in the last few months. I'm sure you loved, I've heard from y'all how much you loved Brandon Heath and Corey Asbury's episodes the last couple, but also head back there if you want to go back and hear some other musicians. Stephen Curtis Chapman is episode 37. Chris McClarney, who is maybe one of my very favorite Enneagram 7s, is episode 41. And Ellie Holcomb is one of everyone's all-time favorite episodes, and that is episode 27. So make sure you check those out. Also, over the weekend, I posted on my Insta story about my buddy Tim Shaw, and people were saying, have him on the podcast, have him on the podcast. And I was like, he is, you guys, he is. He is episode 15. So you can really dig back into the archives. He is an OG around here and check out Tim's episode as well. Hey, if there's anything I can do for you, I'm embarrassingly easy to find Annie F. Downs across all places on the internet, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you need me. AnnieFDowns.com, F as in Falcons, because I got some new Atlanta Falcons chairs on my front porch and I am thrilled about it. Hey, and if you get a chance and can rate and review the show, it means so much and I would really, really appreciate it. I hope you will go out and do something that sounds real fun to you. And we will see you back here next week when baseball season kicks off and we have Atlanta Brave Dansby Swanson on the show. So let's talk about some baseball. See you guys next week.